Dr. Jacqueline Duget. Welcome to What is Black podcast that focuses on issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. As a pediatrician and mom of color, I saw the need to create an additional educational platform to reach parents raising kids of color to address issues and challenges that are not always discussed in the pediatrician's office. Thank you for joining us for this week's conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What is Black? We are joined by today's guest, Ashley St. Armand. Um, Ashley is a celebrated vocalist, writer, arts educator, and she's a founder of Leaping Lizards Music, a music and theater education program for students, preschool through 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is she a writer, she's also um, she also has a band. Yep. <laughs> So, which it, which is awesome. So, welcome, Ashley. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I was exciting um, when I saw. So, so I follow you on Instagram, and I saw the original post about um, your new um, your new audio book, um, Viva Durant, and the secret of the silver buttons. Mm-hmm. And I think there was it was sort of like a giveaway on Audible, and I like audio books anyway. So. I listened to the book and I just finished it recently. So I reached out to you. I'm like, cause I think this is such a great, great concept. I love audiobooks. I love reading and I love promoting authors of color. So I'm so happy. Um, and I just want to thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad you found it. <laughs> yes. I'm excited that I found it. So I was wondering if you can provide a brief summary of the book. The book is about a girl named Viva Durant, which is the title of the book. And uh, she's about 14 and she's visiting her grandmother in New Orleans for the summer. And while she's there, she ends up solving a mystery. That's the idea of it. <laughs> and I, I also love um, mysteries as well. And especially to read um, mysteries, new get introduced to new mysteries. I'm always excited about. I'm a, I'm a Sherlock Holmes fan. Oh, yeah. So I love, so I love mysteries. Oh, great. I guess one of my first questions is why, why a mystery as opposed to contemporary or realistic fiction? Um, I just, I thought it was a really interesting genre to pair with a young black girl. I really don't think I had seen anything like that before. Um, I, I don't know. I really don't know how it came to me to be a mystery, but I was really excited to just sort of mix genres together sort of like a not a historical fiction but a um geographical fiction if if you will and um pair that with the mystery and family life black family life things like that um and see what i could come up with and i'm really happy with the way it all kind of came together now i think another interesting piece that you wove into the story was jazz music Mm -hmm. and i was wondering you know how your your profession also your other your other hat being a jazz vocalist and a jazz performer um helped inspire that setting and adding adding that element um throughout the book well you know it seems like can't get away from jazz in new orleans no matter what kind of project i'm doing um i'm you know i work in the classroom i perform jazz i wrote this book and i'm actually working on a play as well and it's all jazz infused and new orleans infused um my family on my mother's side is from new orleans at least seven generations but probably 10 or more um i've spent a lot of time there and it's just such a rich place for music and culture and the more time i spend with jazz the more i feel like i know myself and my roots um and it's just such an untapped 
music genre when it comes to making content for children. Um, and it's, it's our history as Americans. It's our history as Black Americans. So um, anytime I can infuse jazz into my projects, I do. And I love the fact that um, Viva plays um, the saxophone, mm-hmm. which I could find. I could, I can, I didn't, I didn't grow up playing saxophone, but my oldest son played saxophone in um, the high school band and even was in the jazz, the, I guess it's a jazz band uh-huh. and jazz high school. Ensemble. So uh, yeah, jazz, jazz ensemble. So you can tell, you know, how much of a mom I should probably should have been paying attention. It was a jazz ensemble. <laughs> I, um, trust me. I don't understand my kids things either. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I need to pay more attention, but I but I, I could definitely resonate with that, and I could see where other young people, especially music lovers or musicians, young young musicians, would definitely kind of see themselves reflected um, in the book as well. Yeah, I mean, I wanted jazz not only to be the tapestry of this story, but something that she had a personal relationship with, as I did um, as a child, and so it's not directly the same. I don't play any um, brass instruments, but I wanted to. S- give Viva, um, you know, a tangible tool to relate to jazz with. So that's what I chose. Um, and although I don't play saxophone, I have a saxophone player in my band. So I talked to him a little bit about what was it like growing up playing that instrument and, and things like that. And I think the other piece that I really loved is not only does she play the music, you know, like, like you're alluding to, she loves, she loves jazz music. Mm-hmm. Cause I think there are a couple of scenes where she actually goes to, um, a jazz club and it's like she or even buys music and it's like you know to have like a young person be that that in love with the music and, and know it so well is you know create created another layer for that character well you know Viva is autobiographical in a lot of ways and that's one of them I grew up in love with jazz and musical theater and I was sort of you know the class weirdo because I I mean I like pop music as well but I really was really passionate about jazz when I discovered it um, I didn't really love it until I was about in high school. And then after I discovered it, I just couldn't stop digging and finding jazz vocalists that I loved and going to concerts. And I actually worked as a hostess at the only jazz uh, club in my area in high school. I just couldn't get enough of it. And so um, I thought that was a really interesting way to promote the idea of not just sitting in front of a screen, but getting out into the world and finding your passion. And I think she does that literally you know, you talk, you, you speak to the fact that this is a, um, a mystery, but I think also in some ways I say like sort of like coming of age, mm-hmm. right? Because I think, um, her, you know, I'm not giving too much away when she actually go, you know, goes to, goes back to new Orleans cause new Orleans, she, she's, she has a history of visiting there, but this is the first time she's going to new Orleans by herself. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and just sort of that kind of, the trans the transitions that she's going through and that independence and taking on um the adventure that she takes on. I thought that I thought that was really, really nice as well. Thank you. You know, I thought about that, you know, pairing the the realism with the idealism. In other words, the the scene, for example, when she physically takes a step off of a curb that she's never taken a step off before and she realizes, wait, I've never done this before. Like I've never been in this part of the neighborhood. Um, but it's also like, as you said, this coming of age moment where she's like, I'm going to step into my own um, physically and emotionally and all the other ways. Um, I wanted to kind of, you know, p- paint that illustration in as, in as many layers as I could. So I appreciate that that came through. <laughs> And I think I think another layer is the fact that you highlight um, a multi generational family, mm-hmm. 
And I was wondering, you know, so she visits her grandma, grandmother, and she also has um, her, you know, aunts and uncles that, that she talks about her mom and dad. And I was wondering, was this based on any of your own personal experiences? In, in, in so many ways, yes. So um, I did not grow, but it's just like Viva. So I didn't grow up with my grandparents in the same state that I live in, which is California. My grandparents um, lived in Tennessee and in um, New Orleans, obviously. So I that multi-generational, multi-generational experience really happened during Mardi Gras or during holidays. And... Um, so in the same way that Viva did, and I, and there was something special about that or unique because when you don't spend time with those older folks on a regular basis, it is kind of awkward, right? When you only see them once a year, twice a year, you sort of have to redevelop that relationship again. And so I really played into that with Viva's relationship with her grandmother. Um, but I had aunts and uncles around and I did have a person in my life who I still have. Um, she's my godmother. So we're not related by blood, but I call her grandma, grandma Vijay, and she's 104 now. Um, and she was just a really close family friend of my mother's. And, um, I ended up spending a lot of time at her house because my mom, I grew up, um, with a single mom. So I spent a lot of times with grandma Vijay overnight and really learning her ways. And she's the one who has this sort of like, um, stern, but fair personality that you see with, with, uh, Graham, Viva's Graham in the book. My own grandmother was sweet as pie. <laughs> yeah, my kids have had, I think, that that experience where they get to visit um, with their with their grandparents because they all, you know, they all live in the same state now. But when they were younger, there were some grandparents that lived out of state, some lived within the state. So I so I love the fact that my kids get to experience that they actually get to live and and know their grandparents. And I think, you know, I have a different perspective, right? Being being a mom now, sort of being mm-hmm. that in between generation. And it's like, you know, how, how my parents and my husband's parents treat their grandkids. It's like, oh man, I wish I were a grandkid. <laughs> I was a grandkid growing yeah. up and had that, had that same experience. But, but I think it's great. I think it's wonderful to see, um, to see the, see Viva with Graham. Cause I think in a lot of instances, I think even when we see, um, when we see grandparents, we don't always necessarily, or even older, older adults, we don't necessarily see them as an asset. Exactly. And I think in this book, it definitely is a case, right? You know, and yes. throughout throughout the book, she played Graham plays such a vital and important role for for Viva. And yet, well, yeah, we don't want to give it away, but um, yeah. It, yeah, older folks do play a special role in our lives in, in some ways when we don't even know it. Um, and if, for example, you know, the person I said in my life, my grandma VJ, um, she was playing a vital role in my life, helping my mother, you know, have a social life, um, taking care of me when she needed, when she needed that. But I didn't appreciate that as a kid. I just thought like, Oh God, she's so stern. She never let a single fast food product come into her house. So there was no McDonald's, there was no, you know, you know, Oreos or anything like that. But now as I'm an adult, I'm thinking, wow, no wonder she's lived to 104. She grew all her own vegetables and, you know, she has a very um, routine lifestyle. So those are things that now that I'm in my 30s, I can appreciate. But as a seven-year-old, I was really annoyed by. <laughs> yeah, I loved, you know, like one of the one of the first, um, first couple of scenes is that when um, Viva visits, goes home to her, to her Graham's house, she's like, what do you want for dinner? She's like, you know, you want red beans and rice. And I was like, 
it reminds me of my mom-in-law, right? So she, like, she'll, you go to her house, she has everything. Mm-hmm. And she could whip up, you know, red, she's not, she's, a, she's of um, Haitian descent. Oh, uh-huh. And so, you know, so, so yeah, I, you know, growing up in terms of like 20s moving, you know, early young adulthood, young adulthood to motherhood, it's kind of like, yeah, she, she, she can cook. So I love the fact that my kids, right, when they go to her house, that's what they ask for. They ask for, you know, the rice and beans, which tend to be the, tend to be the red beans. And then she also now is like, adds bacon to it. So I was like, oh, it's good. <laughs> and food is such a, it's such a connection um, catalyst, right? Um, you know, when we talk about people who have, who've moved on from this world, oftentimes it's what was their dish that they made, you know, like, oh, she made the best X, Y, Z. And, um, you know, even if they weren't your favorite person or you didn't quite connect with them on a conversational level, you could really connect with people through their food. And I thought that was something important, especially for a, a story that's set in New Orleans. The food is a really important part of the, the culture there. Oh, yeah. I've had I've had an opportunity to visit twice. One, I, I was sort of secluded because I was there for... Um, a prepping a prep class for for a test and the second time I was able to enjoy it a little bit more so I yeah I love the food especially you know the beignets I guess every that's probably that's probably like really famous the jambalaya or um the beignets yeah all that and the geography too you know it's um all the routes that Viva takes um are real real routes you know that I've taken multiple times in my life um the ferry that she takes from from Algiers point over to uh, the French Quarter is a real ferry that you can take in real life. Um, I, you know, it's sort of the like you know the the mystery shows or the the whodunit kind of shows of the '90s. They would say the names have been changed, right? <laughs> so that's kind of the that's kind of what I did with the places. Um, some of these places are real places you can go to. I just sort of like changed the names or the the or, or the idea of them, but this is the kind of experience that one can have um, if they're traveling through this area. Now it's interesting. You brought up the fact that, you know, some of the older type um, suspense mystery movies and the music that goes along, right. You know, that like the dun, 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 mm-hmm. that, that kind of sets up the drama or even the transitions. And I want to, sh- to, to ask you a little bit about, again, you infuse jazz music. So there's actually jazz music playing, um, as interludes or transitions or even, you know, with the scenes. And I was wondering, did, with your background, um, having a jazz band, did you help, um, with that music or create the music or have, have, have direction as to how that, what music would be played throughout the, throughout the story? So yes to all of that. So some of the, some of the pieces in the story are originals, um, by me performed by myself and my band that we recorded in studio. Um, but this project ended up requiring much more music than we expected. So lucky for us, um, we had access to a wonderful music library that included a lot of jazz. And so we meticulously, and I mean meticulously, went through music and sound, a sound effect library um, to place the music in certain spots, not only to promote this idea of the infusion of jazz in New Orleans and in Viva setting, but also to have these peaks and valleys and intense moments that would complement the the storyline as much as possible. So yeah, it was a really intense process, but really fun and exciting too. Uh, Moving forward, I hope to make more of the sounds 
ourselves. Well, actually, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, it was it was exciting to he- have all these recorded sounds. But I also have this interest in creating Foley on my own because um, it's just so interesting how um, – you know, in the Foley business, what we think we're hearing is really a totally different thing. And I just love, that's like another layer of the mystery, right? Um, not really knowing what these sounds actually are. Um, but anyway, I can get really nerdy about that stuff. <laughs> no, but I loved it because I think, you know, even when I watch movies, like I'll you know, talk to my family, to me, the music always sort of stands out because you can definitely, you know, understand the, the change in the tone or the change of the affect you know, based on the music, right? So the music is either gets louder, gets softer, gets more dramatic, gets heavier. And and I and I just love how, again, like with audiobooks, you can sort of do this this movie, this play, you know, in, in this audiobook. You know, that's so true. And I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to do it in this medium. Um, I love a physical book as well, but you're right. This gives you a special treat. And, you know, to be honest, a few years ago is when I first started uh, listening to audiobooks, and before then, I I really wanted to read physical books, but I didn't have as much time as I had had in the past. And but I thought like audiobooks were cheating, right? I'm like, I can't listen to a book. That's not the same as reading it or whatever. I don't know. I got caught up in it, and then I ended up listening to um, the Mother of Black Hollywood by um, Oh gosh, her name escapes me now. She plays the grandmother on Blackish. Um, anyway, um, I could have read her physical book, and I'm sure I would have enjoyed it as well. But listening to her narrate her own autobiography, and she sings parts of it, but they're not songs. You know, she just sort of like it's it's the way that she talks has like a sing songy quality to it. And just to hear her tell the passion of her story, I thought, wow, this is a performance. You know, it's just a different medium. It's not the same as reading a, reading a physical book, but it's equally as valuable. And so now that I had the opportunity to create this audiobook, I was really excited to add these layers of singing and music and drama um, and sound effects to the story to make it even richer. Oh, yeah, I think you did. I think you you checked all those boxes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're taking a break from this episode to share information about another podcast that I'd like to listen to, Generation.Mom, hosted by moms Laura Schulte and Jen Rout. Laura and Jen candidly discuss real-life experience as modern-day moms and highlight women who create space for both their individual identity and being a mom. The podcast is designed to guide, connect, and support women navigating modern-day motherhood. Stay tuned as What is Black will be featuring them during a bonus episode airing later this month. You can check out Generation.Mom anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Instagram at Generation.Mom. So I was wondering, do you have plans to make this make this story into a play at all? I thought that was such an interesting... Sorry, I'll say it again. <laughs> that is such an interesting question. I hadn't thought about making it into a play, but um, it's it's been really cool to read some of the reviews. It's already been reviewed over 5,000 times. Um, so that's, first of all, crazy. I love my story, but I didn't know that many people would have enjoyed it. Um, but it's been interesting to hear people say, oh, this should be a play or a movie or a series or you know, other mediums. And I'm excited to see where this will go. You know, um, I, obviously I sing, I, a stage actress as well. And, um, I, I love to make 
I love to make um, art in many different forms. So I, uh, I hadn't thought about that, but maybe, you know. <laughs> yeah, because as I was listening to it, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm here in D.C. or in Maryland, but I grew up in D.C. in the Kennedy Center. You know, I like going to performances there from time to time. And often I'll see them have either workshops or have plays that are based on books. And so I was like, oh, I think this would be, this would be a great, great play. But, you know, I think, you know, I think the world is open to you. I think with the fact that you put this out there, I think is, is awesome. Cause I think us aspiring writers, I don't even know, I think that might be an oxymoron too, but anyone who wants to write the fact that you get your work out there, you get your perspective out there um, and people, people resonate with it. I think that's, I think that's, that's wonderful. I mean, you know, the, the sky's the limit, right? I just want to keep making mm-hmm. content. And even, like I said, even if I make these projects in different mediums, um, everything I do tends to be for young audiences and to promote the idea that, you know, the young black child is a multifaceted individual. And so however I can make young children, like the children that I have, my own children, my students see that fact, I'll, I'll keep making it and I'll keep being open to these different projects. And, um, yeah, so that's what I wanted to say about that. So in terms of that journey to, to write, had you always, had you always written before, um, this book came out or again, was there, was there something that then, you know, like a light bulb moment, like, okay, I can, I can do this to accomplish the goal that you, that you just stated? Uh, I've always been a writer since I was very small. So I have, I have a a book of poetry from fourth grade (laughs) and it is deep, too deep, (laughs) but I've always been a writer, um, in some form. And obviously I'm a songwriter as well. Um, so this is my first long form project, but it came to me naturally because I'm always storytelling, even when I'm singing, even when I'm on stage. So Again, this was just another medium for me to tell a story, and um, I'm really grateful for it. I hope to do more. I hope you do, because again, I, I and I you know, mentioned before um, before we before I started recording the episode, I love I really love the book. I think more so it was sort of unexpected. It was an unexpected read mm-hmm. in the sense that I hadn't you know planned to until I found it. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to try something different. I haven't read a lot of. Um, well, heard a lot of audio middle grade books uh-huh. and especially ones that, you know, that also lay on the fact that they're mystery and then have the jazz component of it. So I was like, oh, OK, this is this is very lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and the ending I I really I really loved. It's like, OK, this is so is not only is it a, it's a very, you know, a well-told story, well-crafted story. I think the ending is it's like ingenious. It's like, yeah, I think it was very cool. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm not trying to give it away, but I hope that you uh, alluding to that ending will get more people to read it. <laughs> Hopefully. And then I think, you know, again, the other, the other part too, is that it sort of made me, made me think a little bit and reflect, right? So mm-hmm. as part of the story, um, you have, um, you have like the hand clapping game and there's reference to Miss Mary Mack. So it kind of brought me back to when I was a young girl growing up in DC. Yeah. And then, so I was trying to, I was trying to research, like, is there a connection between that um, hand clapping game and African-American culture? 
Yes. So um, another thing that I do, um, I'm a teacher as well, and um, I teach workshops to teachers. And one workshop that I teach is called African-American Hand Clapping Songs and Games. And that is one of them. And then also um, I have four albums out and our fourth album is called Swing Set. And it's all songs based on um, songs that come from the African-American diaspora, most of them written by people who aren't professional musicians. So you got everything from worker songs to songs that were created by children in playgrounds. Again, this song is one of them. So Miss Mary Mac was created by black children in the South on the, in, on the playground. And, um, and then it spread from there. And so that's why every time I teach this workshop, there's inevitably somebody in the audience who says, wait, I learned it a little bit differently, right? <laughs> because it changes regionally and it changes because it's been passed down word of mouth. And I, when you talk about nerding out, I get really nerdy when I talk about um, hand clapping songs and games because it's such an interesting medium in which to reflect on history because it's not professional, it's not polished, but it's such a really clear indication of like what life was like in the time frame that these songs were created. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to dive into this song, although there there aren't really any indications that this really was, um, you know a key, a key to a, a, an, an unsolved mystery. But, um, what we do think about this song is that it was created by a child as a reflection of their experience going to a funeral. So Miss Mary Mack dressed in black with buttons in the back, a dress with buttons in the back sort of indicates that that was, um, a, uh, a dressing gown for someone in a casket. Um, so that's where we think that song came from, but we can't really can't say because, the song is anonymous, but, um, that's when we listen to all of these really special songs, um, like all the pretty little horses is also, um, a wonderful lullaby that comes from the, um, African-American community, probably in the late 1700s. Um, when you listen to those lyrics, it's just really interesting to think about, um, it's cause it's a lullaby talking about, I want to give you all these wonderful things or you'll have all these wonderful things in your future. And we have to wonder, was the singer singing to her own child, hoping that someday things would change or was she singing to a white child that she was caring for thinking you have all these access, all this access to these wonderful things that my child will never have. So the, it, the, the content of these very simple songs by ordinary folks are so rich. And I just love taking these pieces of work of art and turning them into something new. Oh yeah. I, okay. I did not even know how deep that history right? was. <laughs> Cause again, I, you know, I would, I also was thinking about the fact that like you said, I mean, this, this, this game changes based on where you grew up mm -hmm. and it's like how, and, and it's amazing. Like how that even, you know, I was like, okay, I'm almost 50. It's like, all right. So it's like 50 years ago, almost 50 years ago, I was playing this game. Someone else even before me or still, are, you know, are playing this game. It's like, how does this continue? Cause I have sons. So I didn't necessarily, I don't think I've been, they may, I don't even know if they know about hand clapping games. So I also kind of think of it being more like, you know, for girls, but I mean, I could be wrong as well. It's just my experience playing, you know, playing hand, well, clapping. Yeah, hand clapping games are traditionally for girls. So boys hear them, but they don't typically participate. So it is a, a, a one of the few traditions that we can say has been passed on almost exclusively by, by girls and women. Um, so that's a kind of a really special 
thing to point to. And when you're talking about multi-generational experiences earlier, when I sing songs like Miss Mary Mac, because on a fourth, our fourth album, what I meant to mention is that we took all of these songs and turned them into like swinging jazz tunes. So I perform Miss Mary Mac on stage. And when I have people in the audience that are grandparents and their grandchildren, it's so special to watch them turn to each other and say, you know, this song too. You know, because the grandparents think, oh, this is something that happened back when I was a kid, but surely kids don't do this anymore. And then they have this epiphany of, wow, even my seven-year-old grandchild knows this song. And they sort of, you can see them kind of comparing notes and their clapping rhythms are a little different, um, but it's basically the same idea. And it's such a special way for them to bond. And that's why I included that part in the book as well. And, you know, in real life, um, so the narrator isn't myself. um, And... uh, so we didn't rec- we didn't send recordings to the narrator. We just listed the song because I assumed that she'd know it. And she, right on cue, she sung it just a little bit differently than I learned it. So I also recorded Viva Viva's voice singing that, and so they would sing together. And you can see there's some tension between the two versions, and that's sort of what happens in real life, right? Because you might know, like, say, oh, I know this song, but someone else says, oh, I know this song, and then you put it together. You're like, wait, it's a little bit different. And I'll tell you because I teach this to teachers. I sometimes get emails or you know Facebook messages of people arguing in offices in school uh, teachers' lounges about how these songs really go, and it's just so special to see people bond in that way. So again, a really fun medium to get people to connect. So I hope everyone you know gets a gets a downloads a copy of the book because I think it I think I think they'll be um it'll bring a smile to their face and again because of the multi-generational aspect of the book the fact that it's a mystery I think adults as well as as children well as an adult I really enjoyed the book and I love the take on using Miss Mary Mack um in the book as well as the music I might just there's a lot there's a there's a lot of depth um and a lot of joy in the book I'm so glad it came off like that because that was my point. <laughs> so you did it. You did Yay. it. So is there, so what what's something that is exciting that's happening for you in the in the next next couple of weeks, next couple of months that you'd like to share or that that you're looking forward to? Yeah. So I have to be vague on some of it, <laughs> but, um, you know, I can't confirm or deny that Viva may or may not be a series, but working on the idea of that. I'll put it like that. Um, I'm also working on a musical that I can talk about. Um, I've just commissioned a musical and it's about a mother and son who escaped through the Underground Railroad, um, starting from New Orleans area, Fashery, which is about an hour away from New Orleans. Um, And that project also is jazz infused and very, you know, close to my heart. Again, all of my projects sort of have this autobiographical element to them. So like I, obviously I didn't go through slavery or have to escape through the underground railroad, but this character, the main character is around my age and she has, um, um, a preteen son and I have two preteen sons or actually have a preteen and an actual teenager son. Um, so writing this project has been very heavy for me. Um, I write through my tears, but I also feel like it's going to be a really special project. And, um, I am also writing this for young audiences. So we'll see how that goes. I'm really excited about that. So those are my two 
big things that I'm working on this year. Um, I just joined a wedding band, so that's fun. Um, I just keep it busy and enjoy the time with my kids and, uh, you know, live in that busy but sunny California life. <laughs> that sounds cool. Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us today, Thank Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on What is Black Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And for more information about the podcast, our blogs, and subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, go to our website at whatisblack.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And don't forget to leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. Until next time, thank you for listening.